0: Best,
1: worst, the only podcast recorded on a Tascam 4-track cassette tape. We explore the craft of songwriting with our guests as they perform the first, last, best, and worst songs they've ever written. I'm your host, Carl Banks. I'm Taylor Rogers. And I'm Paul Blackwell. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. All right, thanks for joining us in the studio for this uh, edition of First, Last, Best, Worst. We've got Brian Chalemi in here with us. How are you doing, Brian? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you doing, Carl? I'm doing wonderful.
0: I uh, just did a little five mile city bike ride over, so I'm feeling uh, pumped up and ready to go.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah, we like to get fucking amped before we <laughs> record these things. <laughs> Brian, you want to uh, hit us with your first song? Yeah, sure, man. Let's do it.
2: Debbie, oh Debbie, won't you come out to play? Debbie, oh Debbie, are you a boy or a girl today? We can take a chance and go to the dance. What side will you stand on? Debbie, oh Debbie, baby, where do you belong in the 56, all the lights went down for the Brooklyn girl. These pains of the flesh, what to do next? Alone in a workaday world. Oh baby times are hard when you can't get a job. Blind and so mistressed. Debbie, oh, Debbie, baby, what? Tony, she really understands Tony don't care with a short, short hair She's a woman, not a man Ah, they walked down the beach Held hands in the streets To never more in love every walk tall, high heels and all Down a man, out in the street
0: so fun to hear people's first song, and I want to get into the intricacies of this specific song, but in general, I'd like to go back, give us a little bit of insight into how you got into music.
3: Cool, yeah. Um, I, did, I started kind of late. I bought a guitar when I was like 20 in college, um, but I was like in some bands, and I was always interested in like writing poetry and stuff like that when I was younger, and like wordplay and things like that, and like reform writing, I guess. Um, yeah, and I was just singing in some like a you know whatever some silly bands with my friends in high school, but I was like uh, I want to be able to control the music and wait around for a riff, you know. So I kind of got more into that and um, sort of re. Got it, like re into like Nirvana or something like that as well. I would I really know when I was like a really young kid that was cool. Then I was like, oh, I like the songwriter thing, trying to have a vision and you know that kind of stuff. Where was high school? Uh, I went to Sleepy Hollow High School, Sleepy Hollow, New York, uh, just been? up the line. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Terrytown. I'm like fourth generation Terrytowner.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah.
3: Um, so yeah, I mean, not close, um, not too far, I should say, from the city. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've been to Sleepy Hollow. Um, I got chased around by a man with no head and <laughs> carrying a pumpkin, <laughs> uh, Shit, that was you? which, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and then I was asking around about that and then the people were like, oh yeah, that, that's always happening. it's kind yeah, of like yeah. a classic, <laughs> uh, Sleepy Hollow experience, evidently. Um, so, uh, so you kind of came into uh, songwriting from more of like a poetry, yeah. literature background, and um, I've noticed that a lot of your songs seem to have, lyrically seem to be based more in like character sketches or like story type things like this song, Debbie.
3: Yeah, this one is, I don't really have a lot of songs like this. This is actually like about an actual person and it it's like a story. It's kind of like a, you know, Dylan-esque, like looking in the newspaper kind of a thing. Yeah. I, don't have, I don't have a lot of songs like that. This is like really the first song, which is why it's like that, that I that is like that for me. That I really focused on I was like, this is a great story. I want to write a song about this particular story.
0: What stuck out? Take us through the
3: whole. Uh, uh, I, basically, background. I was yeah. So I was reading a book um, called "Playing in the FM Band" by Steve Post, who's like one of the forefront people at WBII to like late night freeform radio. Uh, and he put this awesome book out after he left WPAI. Um, and he continued to be in radio, but it wasn't the same kind of wild format of the late 60s, early 70s, where kind of do whatever he wanted from like 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. or whatever. And people would call in, and you know, they thought nobody would be there. And there was no one on the air before that. So, um, you know, they were just like, yeah, sure, like, go on the air. Like, who the hell is going to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out there's all these people in New York that work late, you know what I mean? Like, on their night shifts, stay up, insomniacs, lonely people. Mm-hmm. And he tapped into that, um, you know, I think for the first time, you know, in, in, a, in a way in New York like that. Anyway, so one of the reoccurring characters uh, that he talks about in the book, his most interesting, was this uh, woman, Debbie, that would call in frequently. And she was a, you know, a trans woman trying to transition in the late 60s. She's from Brooklyn, and then and she, apparently when she was like eight or nine, she's playing in some yard, and some dynamite went off, and she went blind. So she's trying to transition in a, obviously a time where that's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, dressing in drag, and you can't even see yourself. You know what I mean? I, I, just, I don't know if drag's the right term, but you know, at that time, that's what it would have been perceived at for everybody right. else. But the idea you can't even perceive yourself, this is still a... a you know, obviously an inner journey that you're trying to feel like to become your real self, mm-hmm. you know? So it was a, such an interesting, like that struggle sounds, like, she got kicked out of a, like a blind um, person's you know, assistance facility mm-hmm. because she wanted to go to the female woman's bathroom. Like, I, they, I, you know I mean? She can't even see herself. It's right. like the idea of this is like, to me, is like such a crazy mm-hmm. um, paradox um, and such a sad, crazy struggle that someone went through um, so I was like, I got to write, write about, you know, write about this, this story. So that's what the song's about. And there was, um, you know, there's another character, Tony, who's was a sympathetic person in her life that they dated, you
0: know, um, that I mentioned in there, um, walked on the beach together.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a little, I make it a little happier ending than <laughs> probably what really happened.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but it,
3: I did get a call when I moved to Los Angeles right before the pandemic, um, And one of the first couple of weeks when I moved there, um, I got a call from a woman who was making basically a documentary about Steve Post and his book, which came out actually this summer. And she's like, you know, we're doing research for for the movie. Uh, Like, do you know, we found your song. Do you know where Debbie is? I was like, I was like, I have no idea where Debbie is. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you can surely use this song in your movie if you like. Um, Did they use it? No, they ended up not using it, but I did speak with the line producer because it did premiere at Film Forum and I did get Mm -hmm. to go meet the director. And and it's very briefly mentioned in the movie, but... But, uh, yeah, I was surprised. They used, like, David Bowie and stuff. I'm like, dude, you can get me for, like, way cheaper.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: but uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the live producer I was speaking with didn't, like, pass it along or whatever. But anyway, it was cool. And it was cool to see it, like, in fruition and put something out there and actually get, like, a crazy call like that for some song. But it's on this first cassette that was my efforts as a solo artist. I had been in bands for years, and I was really trying to put something out that was all me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the strongest song that I thought that was individual. And like I said, the first song really where I tried to take something from a news clipping in a way right. and create something you like said
0: that. You referenced Dylan in it. I'm immediately going to Lou Reed. Sounds like maybe an influence on the music in general, but then the gender nonconformity and things like that thematically fit in with a lot of uh, Lou Reed stuff too.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole New York thing, you know, as a kid, like being so close to the city, obsessed with the 77 punk scene, the Velvet mm-hmm. Underground, you know, just that that New York art meets music culture, you know, uh, it's such a prevalent, strong thing, I guess, and trying to find your identity in this place or whatever. Right. Um, but, yeah, I guess I meant more like the song, the, uh, the idea of the approaching a song, not even what the aesthetics are, mm-hmm. just like, oh, here's an idea. Like, you know, Cobain, Polly. Like right. that's like yeah. his one song that's like that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, which apparently is Dylan's favorite Nirvana song. Which, oh,
0: really? Yeah, that's what I've read. I don't I mean, know yeah, how factual
3: then, that is. but is that <laughs> it?
0: There's a famous story of Dylan kicking Phil Oakes out of his limo. Have you ever heard that story? Because he says, Phil, you're not a writer, you're a journalist. Because he was just, again, using news clippings and stuff. And Dylan, mm. this is right after he goes electric. Phil Oakes tells Dylan that... His electric stuff is good, but he's not the Beatles, and he kicks him out of his limo, and he says, you're not a writer, you're a journalist, because Phil Oaks, of course, was just doing that, totally writing topics of the day. And, you know, what you kind of realize is that if you're just doing that, uh, they have a very short lifespan.
1: Yeah, or like that song, We Didn't Start the Fire, where it's just literally listing things (laughs) that's... Ha- that are happening right, just like right. no commentary <laughs> like, i I don't know i that song to me is just so funny it's just uh it's just like yeah, those are things <laughs> good job. How long after uh getting a guitar and getting into writing music did you uh? Or start writing your first songs. I mean, I started writing songs, like, immediately. Like, that's, like, why I got the guitar. Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? So, I mean, I think it was, like, three or four months I had some crappy song. I was like, all right, like, this Yeah. Is, I wrote chords and I sang uh-huh. them, whatever. You know what yeah. I mean? But I had a, I lived with two buddies in college that uh, were really good guitar players. And I just sat down with them every day and, like, show me something, show me something, you know. So about a year and a half later, I had a band and, like, played a gig with a drummer and bass player, you know, and was co-writing songs with my buddy. So that were like. Always having a, a means to an end or whatever, like some sort of goal or whatever, obviously pushes things forward. But the whole time, I always felt like I was like doing this like more aggressive punk rock thing, and then I had these like quiet acoustic songs that I didn't really know how to marry it into like a sound mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what the solo project is—is is, is marrying those two extremes or whatever into some sort of blend. Like I have a version of Debbie that I did with this band Junk Boys that I was in, that's like a punk rock full on aggressive version of the song that's not released. But I was like, the idea that songs are just chords and you, with a certain band and a certain sound, you can be flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I, ultimately the song is better in this way.
0: Uh, we've heard what you were going for back then with Debbie and we'd like to hear where you're at now.
3: Yeah, there's a brand new one called Soft Touch. Um, I just have it in cell phone demo form here, so this may change, but hope you dig.
2: With a bell, it started a dangerous caress. One eye long. With each passing moment Every urge, every breath It's just so easy to forget The soft touch has the answers To all the questions in my mind A soft touch comes on easy, open and quiet A soft touch, I ah, burns me Every time it comes down Here we go again another round With my memories Remembering The past we once had A soft touch Has the answers To all the questions in my mind A soft touch Comes on easy Open and quiet A soft touch outbinds binds me Every time it comes down Here we go on another round another round
1: another round another round that was great how fresh is this one?
3: It's like maybe a month or two ago but I tend to just like write songs in bursts and then just like demo them and then just put them on ice until I feel like I'm ready to make a more elaborate demo and like that could change I could extend the bridge part I usually just get the core the inspiration yeah you know um so I haven't really delved back into this one um I have like a decent little home studio thing that I sort of worked out in the pandemic um kind of got like a better laptop and logic and some monitors and did that whole thing with that. Um, so I could kind of make these demos that I can get the structure all down in advance or whatever. Um, it's kind of been when I've been working with this. Cause when you don't have a, you know, a steady band slash also being in a room trying to work out these intricate parts. I like the arrangements and stuff. And that's kind of like, you got to kind of have like a quiet space for
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like um, a lot of the recordings that you have, uh, you've put a lot of thought into the arrangements of the songs it seems like you've got kind of a, a cinematic sort of feel to a lot of these these tracks and you you mentioned that you know you were inspired when you were younger by the the New York scene from the 70s but it, it seems like some of the stuff that you're making now is a uh, very kind of Los Angeles cowboy like sort of epic western sort of arrangements do you think that like living in LA influenced your sound in that capacity I mean to some extent I mean I've always you know going from 77 punk and then you
3: started getting into garage and then at that point you're getting into like blues and folk and country and rockabilly, which I've always been into like the original 50s rockers mm-hmm. and I love Dwayne Eddy you know who worked with Lee Hazelwood and I love the way Lee Hazelwood writes I also love those big twangy guitars that surf I've yeah. just always mm-hmm. loved that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've had friends be like, I don't think you'd make this record if you were living in New York. So I don't know from an outside perspective. In my mind, I don't I don't think so. Like, I think, yeah. but probably maybe that influenced me. Um, or just be more, I actually got a little more back into country music. Yeah, listening there. Uh, I had a big country phase, like, maybe eight, nine years ago. And I kind of stepped back. You know, you don't want to put yourself in these little boxes or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. you know. But I also love all yeah, all those kind of older music, you know.
1: I feel like the uh, the punk to country pipeline is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like everyone that I know who is really into punk eventually gets into country. Right, right,
3: right. <laughs> I mean, I love the simple, simple lyrics and the pictures that they're painting. And you mentioned, cine, you know, cinematic. Um, I used to make films. I went to film school, so I feel like okay, that makes sense. In some ways, it's you know maybe filling that void in my heart. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can make these little soundscape movies versus you know a visual movie. But I, you know, I, I do. Um, I would love to have my music in more TV shows and movie, you know movies and stuff. I think that's a. A cool angle versus maybe the live grind, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, we've had people on podcasts before who have gotten uh, syncs with getting their music into TVs and movies and, and things like that. And it's interesting because that has become such a big part of independent artists making money now that record sales are so inconsequential.
0: And with nobody listening to terrestrial radio anymore, it's a way people find new music. Yeah.
3: No, I, I I have an old band that, you know, we got songs in a couple of TV shows and it was super cool. Um, but, you know, I think it also because that's the only avenue like 10 years ago, they used to pay way more, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like one of the shows he got in. You know, it's not like it was like the theme song or something. It's uh-huh. like, and then I, um, you don't even pay attention to most of the music. It's just underneath it. And you're one of the 30 tracks. You're like, damn, there is a lot of music in this that I never even listened to because it's right. like so low background. And they like swell it up for like the change and transition of scene, and then it's uh-huh. done or whatever. It's
0: like being a background actor. It's like you're yeah. so excited, then you see yourself, and you're like, God damn, there's fucking so many background actors in every, you know, in yeah. everything. Yeah, you're like, oh, I get why they paid so little, because they got to pay 30 bands. <laughs> yeah, was <laughs> <laughs> one show. But you, it's cool. Do you feel like this song is uh, complete?
3: Yeah, I mean, I might just extend, like I said, the bridge. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but I think in terms of the verse and the choruses and things like that, and I and I do a lot. You know, it's cool playing harmonica because I, I it's I don't really want to. You know, when you take a guitar solo with one guitar, everything drops out. Yep. So I use when I play solo with the songs, I can always use their harmonica as a way to be that other instrument yep. to fill in the gaps, um, even if it's just for writing. It's like oh, this and you're
0: is... using a marine band on this one, is that right? Yeah, I mean I have like, like a, a couple.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a funny key. Um, yeah, I got a couple. I prefer the blues ones, but I have a couple of marine bands. And then I have the Special this, 20. Yeah, which I don't like the plastic ones. But oh, that's, yeah. That's all they had that day for a D, and I needed a D. Yeah. So that's what I went with.
0: Special 20 is my favorite because yeah. the, the bendability on them is so sharp, you know, but it, it's a different sound than the wood. Yeah, I just blade. got so used to the wood.
3: Uh-huh. Um, but I think also the Special 20 probably lasts longer, just in general.
0: I, mine don't be, but because I'm always bending the notes and, uh, you know, you yeah, bend yeah, the yeah. read off eventually. We were talking about that before we started rolling about how frustrating it is. Yeah. You lose one note, 50 bucks, you know, and it's that one you keep on hitting over and over. Yeah. It's the one you always want to go to and then it's gone. Or what will happen often is it like the note goes sour a little bit. And then all of a sudden you have this wrong note in a instrument that you know, the notes are set. You, you can bend it a little bit, but it's, it's very frustrating. The yeah. plight of a harmonica player. Yeah, and I've,
3: I've sat in with, you know, some people playing harmonica for them, and that's always fun because it's so, you don't really need to learn the songs. <laughs> <laughs> just need to know the key. Yeah, and just, like, feel the vibe, you know? Yeah, totally. um, So that's always fun. Um, you know, I'll put that out there if anybody needs any harmonica. When
0: did you um, add the harmonica into the guitar playing? Probably, like, five or six years into playing guitar, um for the for the reason of
3: needing a, a solo instrument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I played for five years with my buddy, who basically was a great guitar player and he took all the solos and uh-huh. it was awesome. And then we stopped playing, we like moved away or whatever. And I was like, I gotta figure out how to play leads now and I gotta like figure some other situation out, you know, with the harmonica writing songs acoustic, like how can I be a one man show here? Right. Um, which I've always respected. Someone's like, play me a song, and I don't want to hear like, oh, I don't have batteries or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Like, play the song. So uh-huh. to me, being that self-sustained, like what a song is and what a performer is, like that was important to me
1: mm-hmm.
3: to not have to rely on anything or anybody, to at least deliver some sort of level of um, content or whatever that someone can understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, going back to your writing process, as far as arranging goes, uh, you mentioned you have like a studio in your house that you – used to try out different like arrangements are you playing other instruments yourself to make these demos yeah yeah i mean i have a world tour
3: piano um and then i have i just bought a melotron micro so i have access and obviously the plugins for certain synthesizers and things like that so between those three things the kind of endless keyboards basically yeah and then harmonica and guitar are like yeah those are the three things that um that i can really do i'm not a bass and drums man so yeah. always kind
0: of go to the professionals for that, for that <laughs> department well the bass is easy there's only four strings on it
3: yeah but it, I don't take it for <laughs> granted those no, guys that can really play bass you know and yeah. these guys walking around guitar players thinking they're bass players you know yeah. I respect the true bass player you can hear it you can feel it these ghost notes and um, yeah I think it's important. You know I've played in bands where you can totally play simple bass and it's totally fine and yeah, the last band I was in rose cologne i i i didn't sing, and the singer needed to play simple bass lines. I had to write songs that that she could sing and play bass over and allow me to not play open chords, which is a whole different way, which is a fun experiment um for me to write songs around that um but on this this solo project, I feel like it's really to me my having fun is painting these pictures and these arrangements and getting really good players to do like the rest,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It just elevates it. Yeah, it
3: exactly. Um, and take being patient. I'm not rushing. I don't really
0: care. I just want to get it right. It's hard for a lot yeah. of musicians. Yeah.
3: Something after the pandemic, I'm just like, I don't care. I don't think <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to get this right. And when it's right, it's done. And that's it. Yeah. You know, I don't really, I'm not trying to get on the the rat wheel of, I don't know what the end goal of that is. I, I, but.
1: I think the pandemic has done that to a lot of people where they're just reevaluating, just being like, wait, why am I trying to kill myself to get this like record out like mm. every couple of years and like do this, the requisite amount of touring? I think a lot of people are just like, eh, fuck it, like, I just think- do I'm just going to do the things that I want to do now." Yeah, I delayed the release of my record like 9 months, which is like nobody does. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. like don't
3: put it out. I'm like I'm like, dude, it's like the election this December. I'm like, who cares? Like what's the difference between now and the spring? The spring sounds a lot better to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's and, it didn't,
3: and it and yeah, and now the record, you know, so it's And then there's this weird pressure where you're like, oh, I put a record out two years ago, three years ago, or whatever. It's like you've created this timeline that no one cares about. Yeah, and it's (laughs) myself. And
1: and it's sad because recorded music has just been so devalued, you know, as as far as like a a thing. You know, it's just like it, it is kind of just like who cares? Like, I'm just going to do it the way I want to I'm just going to do it the way that I want it. And it's like fun for me. And like, easy, you know, Yeah, the stakes
3: are so low. It's like, there's not like million dollar contracts and like all this return. And like, you know, you know, I get it when that's on the line, but like, that's not on the line, you know?
0: And there's yeah. not a, um, a ton of success stories. You know, even at the height of the music industry, you know, people's albums are getting dropped, but getting put on the shelf of a completed album because some A&R guy gets fired. You know what I mean? It was
1: never, like, some no. golden thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's Yeah, they can't put my album on the shelf because no one knows about my album <laughs> yeah yeah so I we don't have to do not even afford a do shelf <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean ray charles is doing like you know new york lottery
3: commercials before he died like yeah, yeah. this is like a guy that we you know exhale as this legendary status like you don't stay legendary right. yeah until after you die you know so it's like yeah even people have the greatest heights you could ever imagine 30 years later, I was like, who cares? You know, Robert Plant, 1997, like, whatever.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like, it's crazy. Johnny Cash, till he put out that final album with Rick Rubin, I mean, he, he had fallen off and people were making fun of him, you know, like he lost his well, luster.
3: Yeah, I mean, you say falling off, and I'm sure in his mind, he's, like, doing just fine. Exactly, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> so, yeah, right. the Public perception, perception of, right. like, when you're on, you know, you're putting it on the big board, like, what are we, it's like, oh, he's not on the big board, He's no, he's gone. It's like, he could be writing the best songs of his life.
0: Right, and my point is just that that whole thing is a fallacy yeah. anyway. That's what we're getting at, is, like, people should just be making the art that they want to make and following their passion, because that's where the good stuff lies anyway.
3: Yeah, and a, and a lot of people really lay, lean on like stuff from the music industry from 50 years ago that is so <laughs>
0: irrelevant.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
1: totally. Yeah, well, it's all an illusion, and nobody cares. So <laughs> with that said, That's let's move to the- on to your best song. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, this one's called Awakening. We've all awoken to the fact that nothing <laughs> matters. <laughs> it's actually a pretty depressing song, so it's a good fit. Uh, I, w- I wrote this right when I got to... LA I was like living in an Airbnb and I was like fighting with my ex a lot feeling alone even though I was in a very small space yeah. with somebody but um, I sat there and played it for her and she's like I think that's the most intense song you've ever heard. It's like things are not going well <laughs>
2: Take a look at your life Through the window of a greyhound bus station Twenty years of living Working loving With not much to show for it. Sacrifice for years of tears With just a glimmer of hope How was it worth it? Was there a choice? The answer's the same To both my friends Cast the dying little lie. What's a man Without his buttons Nothing but a child Shadow that lives in your room A long black veil Born under the moon Always receding The closer you get A means to an end In the heat of the night Fleeting flirtation, wrong Right we bleed free Flower with a broken wing Before awakening and destruction Kiss, kiss your time away And piss, piss your mind away Friends are convenience To pass the time
0: take us back to the process of writing this song was it a uh, one-time deal where you just wrote it all in one sitting or did you work on it for a while uh and up to the point where you showed it to your ex and said it was um <laughs> i love that she keeps coming up <laughs>
3: um yeah it was more of a one-go thing because i just kind of write these verses i had the idea of like there's this lee hazelwood song where he references it's like one of the saddest most funny pictures in one of his songs where it's a uh, Someone eating chili and they stains their shirt while sitting in like a Greyhound bus station. (laughs) Yeah. Just like, you know, you're like, I'm, this is the worst. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, the idea of like 20 years of working and playing and dating and loving, what all the things, like, what does this amount into kind Mm -hmm. of a thing? And I'm sitting in this Airbnb and I'm like, apparently nothing. So (laughs) there's that vibe. And then I was, it's like, I took the image of looking through the window if I like was. Walking by a Greyhound bus station, I looked through the window and saw that sad scene. Mm-hmm. You know, take a look at your life through the window of a Greyhound bus station. I think that's a pretty sad portrayal. Yeah. And you just, like, kind of go from there, just, like, assessing things in that
0: way. Um, yeah. Creating a scene. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Greyhound bus stations. And <laughs>
2: they are. <laughs> <old up. laughs>
0: like, on the East Coast, it's not too bad because people use buses. You know, a lot of people don't drive and stuff. But once you get kind of west of the Piedmont, it's just like, oh, they're they're brutal especially Columbus Ohio I've spent many many a night oh, in Jesus. that one oh, <laughs> yeah so the image of that is universally known as a sad
3: place <laughs> yeah. so that helps the vibe you know um but yeah on the recording this is that song in particular is on the album I have coming out next year mm-hmm. uh and I was there's like all these strings i made like for time I really messed around with synth strings, so I'm pretty happy with my arrangement on that or whatever excellent um, yeah, there's a lot going on. I know it sounds stripped down now, but it's one of the most <laughs> more of the elaborate uh when you get the same thing going on the whole time, you got to use all these instruments to make dynamics, right you know yeah.
0: And this one's written in, in three, three, four time or, or six eight. Yeah,
3: three, four. Yeah, I think it's three, four. I just wanted to do a waltz thing. I was listening to some Leonard Cohen, you know, and that kind of vibe, and then just kind of took it from there. But um, yeah, I also don't have another song like that in that key. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, um,
0: yeah, it's a different thing. What makes you uh, consider it your best? I just really like the
3: arrangements, like particularly on the recording. And I think um, the lyrics, it, it's, it's an intense song. And I like that the intensity gets more intense as it goes along.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just kind of, I just, I like, it feels like a, a lot more of a, a bigger, more Baroque right. <laughs> style yeah. song or whatever, if that makes sense. It's not streetwise, if, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like fun and
0: bubblegum. Uh-huh. And what about the title?
3: No, that, well, that came, I had called it just Waltz in B minor for like, Ever mm-hmm. and then I was like, I had to, you know, sequence the record, and I was like, all right, I have to give this a real title. It's like not like a classical record, or yeah. <laughs> but I kind of wanted to keep it that way. But I was like, all right, whatever. No, it's a, it, well, there's a line: "Moments before awakening and destruction." Mm-hmm. So I'll just call it the awakening. It's kind of like, where are things at? Like, where
0: are we? What's going on? Are you alone in this kind of thing? Beautiful song, haunting for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, the song that haunts you the most your worst song <laughs> well it's my new single that's coming out <laughs>
0: he's a promo
1: machine it's just uh
3: it's probably the worst song to do acoustic because it's like power chords and stuff uh-huh. so that's what i figured uh like and there's no harmonica there's like a huge bridge with all these guitar solos that, like you're not gonna hear yeah. so <laughs> that's, great, that's all of that So I figured, I mean, again, I I think it's, it's a good, uh, you know, it's the worst for this setup, guys. Right, absolutely. (laughs) You fucking wrote it, so on some level you like it. (laughs) Yeah, and I did this, this, this one particularly I wrote, uh, you know, maybe almost a year ago, but I had it sitting. And then I was mixing this record all, like mixing the record from February to the summer, basically, at the studio, kind of going once a week. And uh, I had mixed the record. I recorded the record myself, and I had mixed it myself. So I was basically re-channeling my mixes through a professional, uh-huh, <laughs> which takes yeah. time.
0: And who's doing that? Uh, my buddy,
3: uh, Robbie Chemical, he goes sure. by um, over at Gary's Electric. Um, so we, we finished the record. And so he's like, oh, I like," and I've been mixing your stuff. We did some bass and percussion. But the core of the record, I tracked myself in L.A., so he's like, oh, I would love to do a song like Top to Bottom with you. Like, let's just do it one night or whatever. So I got uh, my buddy Alex, um, who I played with a long time in Mary Vision and Rose Cologne. And he's on the label, Taxi Gauche, um, you know, with his band Mary Vision. That's super rad. And uh, so I got him to play some drums. Um, and my buddy Jimmy played bass. And we basically just uh, took it from top to bottom. But I was able to do these demos like I was talking about before, a pretty elaborate demo in my apartment, and then just show it to the guys. And... Figure out the tempo and just like uh, replicate it um, mm-hmm. in a bigger setting or whatever. So that felt like a an achievement of like um, strategy. Yeah,
1: let's hear it. Cool. Yeah.
2: Your love's a wire. I love to walk. Take every step. I guess the last one I got Cool down my heart your icy hands And show me how To understand understand tear me open, over and over again, your heart bleed, bleed for me, a whisper of black satin falls so softly. In my soul, tempting the surface while knowing your depth. I walk a while.
0: Not gonna lie, I love the stripped down version. I think it's great.
1: Oh, thanks, man. I Thank you I for the song.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it does sound good like that. Um, I do like how you're basically staying on like two chords the entire time, but then like I think just like once or twice you go over to the F. Just one time I hit It's, the it's just it's like one, one time. time. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. Spicy. <laughs>
3: yeah, I like to keep things real simple. Like usually it's like what do we do? It's like just stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like maybe this one thing extra or whatever. Cause when it's only one thing, it really sticks out. Yeah, you know? yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely perked up when I when I heard that. Um I'm definitely feeling the Leonard
0: Cohen and this one in particular, especially kind of when you're going into that low baritone in your voice and breathy uh love is a wire. It's like I appreciate definitely that. hearing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and just kind of the use of Cohen-esque sort of use of metaphor with the lyrics and, like, the content of that. Uh, Very cool. Uh, Very smoky. And this one's on the upcoming album? No, it's just an
3: independent single I did this summer. Yeah, but it's going to come out before the album um, as uh, just a standalone. It may go on the third record. But like I said, we just did it in the studio in a night. Um, and then I was able to go home and do some overdubs in my studio and then bring it back. So it's kind of the best of my home studio versus this full-on awesome studio. Um, so, yeah, that'll, that's I'm trying to have it out by the the show. We have December 4th over at the Sultan Room. Um,
0: you know, it's a text Great venue. Uh, great yeah, venue. Awesome. Love United, that space.
1: Yeah, yeah great spot. Uh, also great uh great shawarma there yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i love getting the fry box with like the shawarma on top Uh, if you haven't had it it's fantastic check it out yeah (laughs) good sound good
3: lights
0: good food yeah um so this one's coming out before the album and then album's coming out next year
3: yeah, album's coming out next year. Just finished. You know, you got to get the artwork together. I think pressing plants now are like a five-month turnaround. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. looking at the summer just based on that. Right. Um, which, again, not a big deal. I'm not on a crazy rush here. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Let it simmer. Are you uh, Are you going to go for an independent release, or are you working with someone? Um, well, the label, Taxi Gauche, they
3: put on my first record. They're out of Zurich. Okay. Um, so he, um, you know, pressing vinyl on, you know, last, this, that came out April 2021. Uh, and so he's going to do, he's, he agreed to do this record. So that will be cool. Um, it, it's, it's technically an import, so it's a little expensive. So I'm trying to find a US distributor here that'll maybe press some copies over here mm-hmm. to make the shipping a little easier for, you know, people that want to hear it over here. But obviously it's, you know, the first records available on all the platforms and
1: all that kind of stuff to listen to. And, uh, you've also got a podcast yourself.
3: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very familiar territory. Talk- yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tell us about your podcast a little bit.
3: Sure, yeah. I've been doing it about a year and a half, started January 2021, with a buddy of mine, Max Braun, uh, who also plays in uh, Mary Vision, you know, label mate. And, you know, we basically go over the deals on Craigslist we find around the U.S., and we do interviews with some of the guitar makers, boutique builders of pedals, movers and shakers, uh, you know, mastering agents and just kind of all over all over that, uh, but you know, the first season when I lived in Los Angeles, uh, we were doing five deals in New York and five deals in L.A. And then now I moved back, so now we've expanded it across the country. Uh, and you know, we talk every Tuesday about those things, um, and then every other week we have uh, we release a interview with someone who's making really cool stuff. So it's nice. a, yeah, it's a nice way. It's a different angle towards the music industry. Um, and you get to meet, you know, some cool people and we've gotten some cool free stuff, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're Man, all, we, all, yeah. all it for. Man, we
1: never get any cool <laughs> no, free stuff. We're fucking... <laughs> this podcast sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've
0: been spending money on it yeah. the whole time. <laughs> I brought donuts today, but I paid for them. but They're free for you guys, if you want. But yeah, it's called Sonic Artifacts.
3: Okay. And it's on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because it's like, I can put, like, you know, to put a record out, you know, CD baby, whatever, it's fifty bucks, a song, a record, anything like that. Podcasts, you can put fifty dollars, you can put hours and hours and mm-hmm. hours on. It's nuts, <laughs> like the cost difference or whatever. Yeah. But you know, the plays are different because obviously people listen to songs 10 times in a row versus yeah. like they're gonna
1: listen to the podcast
3: once. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think that we should put this podcast out on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean at least cassette man. Yeah. I mean, you guys are doing that <laughs>
0: cassette we thought about that before I know I had this cassette duplicator too that I got but yeah. I, I had to sell it cause I needed mo- I needed the money <laughs> <laughs> there was a could
1: have done it, yeah, it a deal a on classic, Craigslist classic classic fucking uh, New York tragedies I wanted to put my podcast out on a cassette <laughs> but then I had to sell my cassette duplicator for money <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those things, I'm just eBay a cassette duplicator they go for a lot of money and I got it for 15 bucks and uh, you know sold it for quite a bit more so I, I, I had to do it so yeah. I need a place to live unfortunately <laughs> cool and so you're just checking out Craigslist for deals all the time yeah I mean it,
3: to me that's it's kind of the easy part like it's it's kind of fun because you especially looking at New York Craigslist for like freaking 10-15 years and mm-hmm. then leaving it for like I left it Right and going to LA, I'm like, oh wow, there's all these. The market's very different, and I look at it as like kind of like a sociological thing. You're like, who is living here? Like I have noticed very quickly that North Jersey and Long Island had way more guitars and cool old rock guys living there than Westchester, for example. Mm-hmm. Just immediately, so and uh, you know, West Coast has a lot more products from Japan, so you get all these things that you would never really see here that mm, often. Yeah, just based on the different markets. So to me, it's exciting to go and look at like Tupelo. Or yeah. whatever, and like find something there. Uh-huh. That's it's awesome, right? You know, and obviously there's some funny ads, and we, you know, we're we're because there's a lot of podcasts that do information, history, whatever. No one's talking about the market, and we're also at the end of the day like trying to make it entertaining. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if you want the information, it's on the internet. You can find <laughs> you can it. Go Google it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I don't need to like report to you about like you know, the specs of a 59 Jaguar or whatever. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, it's more like the funniness of the ads trying to keep it entertaining. We email all the sellers, so sometimes they write back, mm-hmm. you know, and it'd be like, you know, just try and keep it going or see who bought it. We You know, the deals, if they go down, we're like, oh, these sold last week and, you know. What's the goofiest thing that you've seen? Dude, this guy had to sell his bass because he was missing a finger, and,
2: he- <laughs> <laughs> and
3: this is like Deep South. I'm trying to remember where I was. And dude, unnecessarily, he showed a picture of his missing finger. <laughs> and Yeah, and he had all these crazy knuckle tattoos that said like "hate" on it. And it was like, it was like you don't need. To, I don't need to see the finger right, to buy yeah. the bass. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you. You don't even need to mention right, this. Yeah.
2: Like-
1: also, it's like maybe he could have just started playing with a pick. Yeah, Yeah. it might have been his left hand. I don't Uh, know. Yeah, true. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Either way, it's not making me want to buy this bass more.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's some wild stuff like that. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah.
0: That's awesome, man. I'm love. i always on Craigslist here looking at gear. You know, I've done like ride shares across the country with people on Craigslist and stuff. I I love the, uh, I don't know, just the randomness of it. My my
1: brother bought a uh, Moog little fatty from a meth trailer in, like, Marion, South Carolina. (laughs) Um, He went down there and got it for, like, 500 bucks. You know, they're, like, I don't know, fifteen, twelve hundred 1,200 bucks, you know, new. Yeah, he just went down to, like, a little trailer, and there was, like, a meth lab in the back, and he was, like, uh, I don't know, got a good deal. (laughs) He's, like, I understand why this is so cheap. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, you know, a lot of these, like, crises that, like, plague our society and our country – uh, can result in good deals <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, if you're I mean, if you're savvy about it. No, so. I mean yeah, there's also a story. Uh, you know, someone passed away. I had to sell this. There's a lot of
3: sob stories that turn
0: into great deals. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of fucked
0: up though because during the pandemic, everybody was buying gear. You know, and it was like that kind of. Messed me up because I'm like, man, you used to be able to find stuff real cheap, and then everybody was like in their rooms playing. It's and exploded. Like, yeah, it's exploded. It's kind um, of frustrating. I mean, I
3: watched the the Guitar Center on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood basically drain out. There's, they're, they're to the point where there was no. Vintage guitars, really. It was insane. They had a beautiful collection of guitars uh-huh. and amplifiers. Really impressive, like much better than the one I have over right here. That's like their right. flagship store. Uh-huh. And I had a guy on my podcast who worked there, and he's in some bands. And I was like, "What's going on? Like, tell me about the market or whatever." And he's like, "Dude, people are coming in. Like, you got any '60s strats?" He's like, "I wish I had an '80s strat for you, yeah. buddy." Like, yeah. And,
0: and so interesting.
3: Yeah, it's almost like. Um, The dealers started buying from Guitar Center because they were cheaper, and then the dealers were flipping it for more to the public. It's like Uh some
0: reverse situation where, resulting in the box stores not having any vintage equipment. It's crazy. Can we just get a little rundown of your Gibson that you've been playing for this this whole session? Tell me
1: about the upside down cross on the so fretboard.
3: Where for I'm sitting, it's it's right side up. Uh, But I only really, it's not really. I really just put it there because this thing is like warped, so it was was vibrating. So. I could just put a piece of tape, or I could put a symbol, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or an it was best felt better than an X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> There's not many options. Yeah. yeah. So I figured, Ed Sheeran
3: has the X too. So oh, I didn't even know. Thank yeah. God. So I don't. Know, I've had this on there forever, just so the vibrating the pick. But yeah, it's a 62 LGO. Um, you know, all mahogany. It's like their student model, sort of like a parlor style guitar, reminiscent of like 30s. Uh, builds that they had Um, but it was one of the cheaper models that they came out with Uh, but I bought it from a buddy of mine who got it from another guy in Atlantic City Uh, yeah but I had since upgraded the bridge I got the neck reset last year I put a pickup in it and yeah it's cool man I love it for recording it's not very loud it's small it's light it's got a dark focused sound and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah I mean I have big hands and like technically it's like somebody would tell you this is not a guitar I should be playing but uh, I don't. I don't really. I mean, I guess if I was gonna get another acoustic, I would get a big strummer because mm-hmm. this is not a big strummer. Yeah, yeah. I, I like little fretboards. Yeah, but... no, I was just like doing a B seven with my hand. It's like, yeah.
0: I don't know. It's not like hard, but it's like it's definitely small, crampy Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it gets crampy. Yeah, <laughs> but that's beautiful guitar. What's the show
3: in December that you're doing? Over at the Sultan Room, December fourth, uh, you know, on Taxi Gas Records out of Zurich, he's got a bunch of rad bands and records, and he has a bunch of bands in Brooklyn. Uh, so we're gonna get uh, Kyle Avalon, Mary Vision, Sam himself, who's also from Zurich and lives in in Brooklyn as well, and myself to uh, a four band bill, and. Pete, the the label head is gonna fly over and DJ, and oh, it's awesome. gonna be really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, sounds like a party. Yeah, so that's in that's in Brooklyn. Um, and like I said, the record's out next year, and I have a single "Love Is a Wire" at some point coming out soon too.
1: Cool. Awesome. Thanks for coming in. And uh, do you want to play us out? Yeah, I'll play us out. This is another
3: one off the record that'll be out next year. Um, the album's called "Vacant Cowboy," and this one's called "Vacant Cowboy." And you guys said it's like the wild card song. Yeah. Um, I guess my I thought this was the wild card song because it's two people talking to each other and the conversation keeps changing and there's not a chorus mm. it's, the way it's written is like kind of weird I didn't realize it until afterwards so that's yeah. why it's a wild card for me
1: yeah hell yeah
2: <laughs> Bacon Cowboy wrap your legs around me I'm a velvet playboy, how long will you stay? She said as I walked out the door I've heard it ten thousand times before. Are ah, you giving you give what is it for? My velvet playboy, don't be so mad. Have you finally gone up to soul? Your love, never ending hole. I'd live to love, I'll play your game. As time flickers across the plain Oh, in every time I meet a girl like you And every morning I tell her we I live to love, I will play your game again Oh. Uh.